Welcome to Searching for the Question Live. Uh, my name is uh, David Orban, and I am very glad to have all of you following the show. Uh, we are streaming on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, on Twitch, in groups, on pages and accounts. And uh, it doesn't matter where you are following from, you can make comments and ask questions, and I will be able to select the best ones uh, to uh, discuss and answer them together with uh, my guests. Uh, the theme that we are going to discuss today is uh, very close to my interests. Um, I have been uh, studying uh, exponential and jolting technologies uh, for um, a long time. And uh, several years ago, I came to the conclusion that it was natural, actually necessary for these to lead towards decentralization. And uh, it was also interesting to explore uh, what are the advantages, the disadvantages, the limits, the challenges that uh, this new structure would bring both to businesses, but also to our social economic organization on a planetary scale. So uh, very recently, uh, I uh, um, saw uh, on Facebook uh, the announcement of the publication of a book entitled Decentralization. I reached out to uh, the authors and uh, they very uh, graciously accepted to be on Searching for the Question live uh, as, uh, uh, as guests today. So uh, welcome, Craig Calcaterra, and welcome, Wolf Carl, uh, to Searching for the Question Live. Thanks for it's having me. <laughs> uh, so, so Craig, uh, I don't know if uh, people pronounce your name as Italian as I have, uh, typically, <laughs> uh, uh, and, and I don't know how many generations removed you are from being uh, I Italian, but uh, that is correct, uh, I would assume, right? Yeah, you are yes. Italian. Yes, two generations back. Uh, my grandparents were farmers here in uh, Montana, in the United States. Uh, and and, and, and where uh, were they from uh, in, in Italy? Do you know that? And have you visited? Uh, yes, yes. Close to Milano. Um, and I spent a year in Trento, uh, there in the north. And so okay. <laughs> I, I love Italy quite a lot. But uh, I, I would assume uh, that, uh, uh, you know, two generations was enough for you not to learn the language did you yeah no solo and po <laughs> um, <laughs> it's i learned a lot when i lived there but i've forgotten a lot of it, it was seven years ago i was a and 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 wolf um uh, you are from where uh father dutch mother german all right uh, but both of you are in minnesota right and 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 uh, and and Craig, uh, uh, you were telling me uh, right before we started uh, how the how the two of you uh, uh, met and then decided to co-author the book that uh, was just published. It is a funny story. Right, right. Uh, Wolf was teaching a course. He's a law professor at the University of Saint Thomas um, on disruptive innovation for for law. And my wife was going back to school. Um, as a second career and took the course and Wolf was recommending that anybody in the class should cultivate some relationships with people who have technological backgrounds. And my wife said, well, I know somebody with a technological background and introduced us. And then Wolf introduced me to many different 
areas that are important to society and the law. And um, uh, how was the, the experience of uh, writing a, a book together? I, I have never had the, 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 the privilege of having a sparring partner uh, mm -hmm. with whom to clarify ideas and argue about how to express them. Uh, so in, in, in your case, Wolf, uh, was, it, uh, was it something that you would do again uh, if you had a chance? So Craig and I have uh, published many papers together before we went into the book. And so I, I knew what to expect. And, you know, Craig is a mathematician at zero or one. And Craig is typically right, right? When we get into a spat, uh, most of the times Craig, because he has this background, 20 years he built his own math field in math, really, uh, dynamical systems, and Craig can tell you much better than I can about this. Um, but yeah, so the, the so we had published before. And so the, the book is really, it's a, Craig, how would you frame it? It's a, it's a narrative of what the prior papers can actually take the community to, right? So, um, so it was a natural tag along, tag on addition to our prior thinking. And I had always said, Craig, we need to put, write a book. This is, we're writing way too uh, mathematical and theoretical and, and mm -hmm. academic stuff, right? It's, it's way too academic. Now, having said that, this book is pretty academic, Craig. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's still not, you know, easily consumed. Um, but yeah, so we came to this from the recognition of, well, you know, this is, it's, it's one thing to tell a story. It's another thing to put a math model in front of somebody. Yeah, it's trying to give a, a perspective to people that's yeah. unified, that's complete about how the, these new technologies should be thought about when we are trying to build and architect these new companies, these new decentralized organizations. And so what is missing, what is needed, what will collapse a decentralized organization, a, a DAO? Um, so if you don't have the right perspective, you're, you're guaranteed to fail. And so that's the hope for the book. So, so in, in your analysis and in your perspective, uh, what uh, led to even the possibility of um, an increasing number of people glimpsing that the centralized organizations may be better fit, better suited to uh, today's uh, uh, needs and today's uh, challenges? Well, if you want me to handle that, um, yeah, I, we are already living with many, many different decentralized technologies. When you use Facebook, you are a decentralized provider of content. When we're using uh, Google, it's aggregating information from all over. And so the same thing with Twitter and YouTube and all these other areas. Um, but they're all centrally owned. And so there's a lot of downsides that go along with that. When the providers and the people are not in control of the message, then there's a different incentive structure for how the algorithms are going to be built than if the incentive structure, if it was, you know, controlled in a decentralized manner. So we're, we're, we're seeing the technology is there and we're seeing that it can improve society. But right now we're still living with some old school centralized thinking. So, so you, you, are, you are contrasting um, a, a creator a pool that is global and decentralized and the uh, equity and ownership structure of the content aggregators and the content um, uh, channels that uh, uh, doesn't correspond to this uh, uh, topology. Uh, that has uh, emerged uh, thanks to our global communications uh, networks. Precisely, and we're seeing that 
new structures are being built, but they're not historically backed up, right? These decentralized organizations have not traditionally been used by uh, for-profit companies. We have Wikipedia that's pretty much controlled in a decentralized way. There are older structures like Alcoholics Anonymous, these sort of things, but they're usually uh, nonprofit organizations. And so the whole world is designed around helping out centralized companies, centralization, because centralized centralization is has an advantage over decentralized structures. It's more efficient in lots of different ways because each of the members have less control. They have a more isolated let's, let's uh, stop. domain uh, of power. Let, let's so stop on, on that uh, statement uh, for, for a minute. You said decentralization is more efficient. Um, that is counterintuitive, uh, uh, isn't it? One would uh, say, well, um, if I have to replicate uh, the various uh, functions all over once, if I have to coordinate uh, certain types of action on arbitrary scale, where um, I don't even know when I start uh, whether uh, this coordination will be with someone I can physically meet with or a completely legal structure, a completely different jurisdiction, um, that doesn't feel uh, at, at first approximation as something that is more efficient. I'm sorry, I, I cut out a bit of, of that. Um, okay. Uh, Wolf, I don't know if you followed all of it. And, yeah. Uh, so D David makes an important point, Craig, that we are addressing in the book throughout. So this is the dichotomy between the efficiencies that we're all used to, you know, um, economies of scale and scope that you create through centralized systems. And so we're all, we're all accustomed to thinking that way, right? And so it's very hard for us, Craig, to switch out of this notion of centralized top-down hierarchical systems where you, where you create a single point of failure that creates efficiency, but at the same time, for purpose of coordination and behavioral coordination, it's a single point of failure, right? So mm -hmm. how, how can we claim that a decentralized system is more efficient, quote unquote? And you, I think you have to put that in the context of efficiency and longevity, right? So there, is a, there's a, there are trade-offs between those. I don't know if you want to add to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a centralized organization is optimally designed. It's, it's really an, a mathematical ideal of efficiency because all, all the members in the organization have their isolated domains of power. And so they don't waste time arguing. They don't waste time deciding on what's going to happen. And the problem is that these centralized hierarchies have a more crystalline static structure. So they don't negotiate their positions and that's why they're efficient. Well, when a new challenge comes up, when there's a change in the market, then these centralized structures have a difficult time responding to that. Whereas a decentralized structure, a, a truly decentralized structure is the market. It responds to the market because it automatically um, responds. Let, let's go back uh, uh, to that concept of change and the reasons that change could favor decentralized uh, versus centralized. But before we do that, uh, uh, I want to say hello to my friend Alex Lightman, who says decentralization is the greatest trend of the 21st century. There are so many trends in the 21st century. I don't know if this is the greatest. Maybe it is um, uh, humanity becoming a multi-planetary species or 
uh, not going extinct or whatever, but yes, this is one of uh, the important ones. And then Alex is also asking how can he get a, a signed a copy from you guys? Uh, so um, <laughs> let's hang out. This is, I always tell people, yeah, don't don't make me mail uh, hard copies and kill trees, right? Let's hang out. Let's meet at a conference, and Craig and I will do everything in our power to get people engaged and talk to you. And if you so insist, we will also sign the book. And and I really hope that uh, as soon as possible, uh, your publisher will make an electronic copy uh, available because, as you said. Uh, killing trees is 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 bad. Uh, I actually, uh, for several years, uh, used to autograph uh, ebooks uh, by screenshotting the uh, cover, and then uh, I I uh, would uh, email the person uh, my uh, signature over the over the screenshot of the of the cover. Um, so back to to the point. Um, when we are talking about the longevity of a given organization, uh, we are talking in evolutionary terms um, and not necessarily about the individual, but the patterns uh, that the individual represent, the species. Uh, and uh, the longevity uh, of uh, the species is uh, um, a, a proportional uh, to uh, either the uh, relative constant nature uh, of its environment or in a changing environment uh, to its adaptability. And in biological organizations, uh, i.e. biological organisms, uh, there is uh, a limit of uh, the uh, speed of change that genetic drift can express. Uh, and uh, as a consequence, when uh, there is a rapidly changing environment uh, that exceeds uh, the adaptability that uh, uh, the genetic uh, uh, drift uh, allows, uh, uh, you will um, see uh, extinctions of uh, species or even mass extinctions. So would it be correct to say that maybe a better term rather than saying efficiency is fitness decentralized organizations are fit to the needs uh, of today's rapid rapidly changing uh, business environment for example or political environment maybe uh, because they can uh, uh, morph and, and adopt necessary uh, change is better than not the traditional centralized hierarchical ones. Yeah, that's absolutely a good way, a good analogy to make for the, for the situation. Um. And so, 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 Wolf, um, tell me about uh, a little bit of your uh, background, uh, given that you are a law professor. Uh, how did you arrive to thinking about these problems and 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 is your is your specialization such that it it uh, prepared you for being able to absorb the concepts uh, here? Yeah, I'll be happy to do that. Um, but before I do that, I wanted to pick on one point that you brought up, and let me paraphrase what I think you said. 
you're talking you were talking about the scalability of decentralized systems right i think that's an, an underpinning of some of the critique that you presented in the context of biological systems right right um, because there's a barrier uh, at some point and that's something uh, craig i don't know if you want to pick up on that but um so the scaling i have many conversations where uh, the, what we're proposing in the book engineers are dealing with what we're pr proposing in the book and they come to modeling it and they're saying but it doesn't scale right as in, it's harder to bring to create network effects in the system because you actually need to put merit in, right? And sorry, I, I'm going a little bit too deep right now. Um, but this is a very important question, David, that you alluded to, and I, I, I don't want to um, lose that, right? So um, the scaling is very, very important, right? So how do you scale a decentralized organization? So the way we portray it in the book, and Craig, I want you to just jump in anytime. Um, the way we portray it in the book is really it's this micro-democratic meritocracy um, that we're envisioning, right? That, that this technology we think is, is, is facilitating. And so the question then becomes, how do you, how do you scale um, this, these micro-democratic systems? Meaning how, many, how much, where's the limit and how many people can actually be brought on, right? And Craig, you know the implications, right? Because there, is, there are only so many people who have a certain expertise in the system, uh, and and will be onboarded by other people with the same or similar in interest and expertise, and so the question becomes: if it's not expertise focused, then you can scale. But if it is expertise focused, Craig, the scaling becomes harder, right? And so yeah. I don't know if you want to say something about that, Craig. I don't want to. Right. So I guess this brings up actually a point of contention between something I've heard you say before, David, and I, I don't want to. <laughs> create a fight or a competition. Oh, but, no, no, let's fight, let's fight. <laughs> let's get into it. Right, the, uh, you, you mentioned that there's a, there's a valid point of view that our democracies are failing, right? And that direct democracy is the only solution, that representative democracy is, is flawed. And so this whole idea of expertise scaling um, that you're bringing up, Wolf, is directly relevant to that. Um, there are only certain experts. And so we don't want the, uh, <laughs> we don't want to have the uh, tyranny of the majority that happens up. That's what Alexis de Tocqueville explained as he's criticizing American democracy back in the 1800s, um, that they would have this flat, decentralized hierarchy that uh, America's dream was of this perfect democracy, that everybody was equal. And so the concern then is that, well, what happens with expert opinions then? They're drowned out by uh, the better, by the common opinions. And so you do want to have some sort of place where expertise can flourish, where it can be uh, rewarded properly. You do want a meritocracy involved in this, but you also want to build equity. So you have to have this tension between these two values of equity, where everybody gets an equal amount. Well, if you have that, then the meritocracy doesn't work. A meritocracy says, no, I need to be rewarded appropriately to my efforts. And so how do you build a society that balances these two tensions? If you go for a completely centralized society, then that's a complete meritocracy. The, the top people get the most. And if you go for a completely flat society, basically, if you want complete uh, equity, the only way you can get that is complete chaos where everybody is flat. The perfect balance in between the Goldilocks solution between these two tensions of meritocracy and equity is you need some sort of autonomy amongst the people. You need a, 
an organization that's still decentralized, an organization that still has a flat equal opportunity for everybody, but an equal opportunity to thrive and to provide your skills. And so de uh, decentralization is the right solution that's between these two perfectly centralized and chaotic, unorganized systems. Uh, it, it may also be the case that uh, as uh, people themselves, each individual member of a larger organization uh, on, a, on, a, on a path, on a dynamic trajectory in, in their lives, in their skills, in their aspirations, in how idealistic they are, but maybe less prepared, uh, or they become uh, more uh, cynical, uh, but much more effective in manipulating uh, the levers uh, uh, of, of society or that particular organization, uh, a decentralized uh, topology allows one not to be necessarily boxed in a role and has many more dimensions, uh, uh, many more exit routes through which to gain a different perspective for once, expose themselves to new kinds of experiences, um, uh, let be tested by the organization itself in terms of the value that they can provide, and as a consequence, they gain the reputation they they deserve, uh, and and aggregate around themselves the resources that can uh, bring them uh, to achieve goals uh, that are not theirs alone, but uh, the goals that have been shared uh, among uh, all of all of. Uh, at, at least uh, in, in, a, in a geometrical uh, sense, uh, not in a geographical sense, uh, uh, in, in their proximity. Um, so, so the role of, of experts and expertise uh, is not to support and to prove the decisions that come from the top, but is to ignite uh, support from the bottom and uh, to allow others to flourish uh, and, and maybe to learn and emulate or, or compete uh, with, with whoever inspires them the most. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. You have something to say, Wolf? Or... Um, I, I think he, David was also alluding to self-sovereign identity, right? And so Craig and I um, have written on this and um, we've, we've talked about how reputation systems can can also be the foundation for a truly functional self-sovereign identity, right? Um, where the the way these scores are built, David, are giving, and so this is, how do people create identity in decentralized anonymous and autonomous systems, right? So self-sovereign identity. I, I'm not sure how familiar you are, David, with this, uh, this debate, right? Um, but what you alluded to is actually directly in my, when you, when you started talking about it, I, I in, instantaneously thought, oh, this is self-sovereign identity, right? So how do, we, how do we create identities for people where you allow information to come from the edge, from the bottom up, right? Without penalty, without the human condition, without discrimination, with all the things that, that afflict society otherwise, right? And these systems that Craig and I are writing about, this, this is sort of, the perfect universe of experimentation about how you can create these scores and create these identities in, in decentralized systems that allow people to connect to each other in different ways, in ways that are really unprecedented. And I want to I say something about also the NFT communities, right? So I've spent um, on Clubhouse many hours with people who are very, very active in the NFT community. 
And if you watch what they do and how powerful those communities are and how much they thrive on this idea of self-sovereign identity, so um, SSI, right? And if you give them the right governance um, and, and decentralized governance, which is very few even are talking about, right? Even though they, they, they don't even realize that they, how much they need it, right? So if you give them this and you set them up with this, I think we, we, we will see a surge in innovation and, and community engagement that, that is, quite frankly, is unprecedented, right? In the diversity of, of the community, in the way the community connects. Um, sorry, I, I could keep, up, keep on, but this, I, this is a very, very exciting uh, time, uh, David. And if you watch what young people say about what they want to do in the future, right? There's very, there's very little, hey, I want to join a profession that's all about creative arts, all about being creative out, out there in, in decentralized networks, right? And I just, I just saw some of, those, um, some of that, that data come through. So these are very, very exciting times. Um, apart from the, from the book, uh, the um, viewers that are following um, can also find um, your papers um that can be freely downloaded on uh, um, this uh, website which i will now uh, post uh, as a as a banner here for us uh, it is sufficient uh, to uh, search uh, uh, for uh, your uh, last names uh, for example yeah so the uh, craig is less comfortable with this we would encourage people to look at the final version which is the book which is clean these are preprint uh versions that are not entirely clean the, but we felt like we wanted to get the community engagement so we posted those on SSRM. Uh, and 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 uh, i think that is wonderful for many reasons one because uh, uh, the attention span of many of us is such that uh, a full book uh, is uh, even though you know uh, this goes uh, all around, by the way. So I love books. However, uh, I'm, I'm also uh, part of the 21st century uh, where uh, when I post a video uh, that is 10 minutes long, I feel like hmm, 15 seconds TikTok, maybe people won't watch for 10 minutes. <laughs> so, so having a 10-page a, a uh, paper is, is, is actually very good. Uh, including the 10 uh, uh, line abstract uh, and the other fact once again that it can be uh, downloaded electronically and the speed of uh, your ideas spreading around is is much faster than not uh, the the book itself uh, having to physically uh, travel and 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 yes uh, in these uh, papers you talk about uh, many of the themes of the book about decentralized finance, decentralized governance, and the importance of reputation for the evolution of decentralization. So, so Wolf, maybe tell me a little bit about uh, why do you think it is useful or even possible to substitute um, the concept of reputation instead of using what has been for thousands of years, it's blunt proxy which is money um we were assuming that uh, if you were a billionaire because your grandfather was a robber baron i should do business with you because you were trustworthy and uh, and uh, reputable right even the word to be reputable uh, is is almost synonymous with being wealthy uh, and 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 of course that is absurd 
but in the past we didn't have a way to do anything else than rely on on that proxy is it now possible to do without okay so let me there's i think the good way to handle it is that craig talks about the historical perspective and i talk about more about the the current perspective on this because i know craig has a lot of deep thinking in this context so this the question you're asking can reputation replace money is an extremely important question right um, and why should it? How, how are we changing from a zero-sum game to a positive-sum game, right? That's, that's, that is one of my favorite lines, right? And before I handle my part and then pass on to Craig, um, so I come, up, come at this from the perspective of what is the role of DAOs in the future, right? How can, how can DAOs exist in the future? Which is really what the book is trying to answer, right? Um, and for that, you need, for DAOs to exist and to create decentralized governance, you need this idea of reputation replacing fungible tokens, right? Okay, so let me back off. Before we go into this, so I, I come at this completely from the DAO perspective, right? So um, if we look at existing technology, and we talk about this quite a bit, bit in the book, so in a smart contract, so we all know what a smart contract is, right? So we have uh, two counterparties, they're often anonymous, don't know each other, they're coordinating their conduct and exchanging value through a smart contact, uh, contract, where the contract, the code, replaces the human interaction and is automated. What is the natural outcome of that? Is it better human conduct, more ethical human conduct, or less ethical human conduct, right? And we can talk about this. And I have, quote unquote, pissing matches with people I talk to every day about this very thing, right? Because a lot of engineers believe, no, 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 we automate, this is great, I uh, will cut out the middleman, uh, disintermediation, and um, the machine takes over, right? Because you, you, you humans don't have to behave if the machine has automated it, right? I don't have to worry about what is my counterparty thinking about my conduct if I only rely on the code and the code has coordinated the human interaction, right? Because you can't step outside of the code, right? Code is law. Uh, I teach a whole course on this, right? Is that true? Is code law, right? We can have a long discussion about this. Okay, so Craig and I jump in any time that that these smart contracts that we see proliferate, that they actually corrupt human behavior, that they're actually undercutting long-term positive sum games. Yeah, and maybe I can talk about that a little go bit. Go ahead, Craig. Go ahead. Yeah, um, if you don't mind getting in just a, a superficial version of a game theory discussion, yeah. right? Uh, that that's where this zero sum versus positive sum terminology comes from, right? Is if you have a single game, if you have a single uh, interaction, if you have a single negotiation, if you have a single contract, then the the idea is that each party should behave as avariciously as they possibly can because whatever money's on the table, well, it's all going to be gone at the end of the game. And so whatever you can get is what you should try to get. So if you have a single stage game like that, then there's no, re no reason for reputation. It's just oligarchy that money is and power is more important. Uh, and so money is what you're going to go for. But if you have a repeated game, if you have a game that is going to happen again tomorrow, and that's fortunately the situation we live in in life, is we're going to have do business tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Then you have the opportunity to create a positive sum game. You actually have an opportunity to create something through your interaction. And the thing you can create that's going to be valuable, creating something out of nothing, is reputation. And that's because both players can then behave positively towards each other. They can actually not try to take as much advantage of the uh, 
the person as possible. Craig, this this yeah. is people often don't understand what this means. I think the Magribri really illustrate the superpower. Mm -hmm. So if you want to talk about that, that, that I think that it helps put it into context. Yeah. So just to finish that, that was a just a, just a little uh, remark. Uh, this is a conversation I had about the impact of accelerating change uh, with uh, John and Ash talking oh. about uh, uh, game theory and, and 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 things like that. We won't listen to it. You can. You can find it on on, on, on YouTube uh, if you're interested. It is my most hated video. Uh, <laughs> a lot of downvotes. Even, even though quite a few people uh, see it because I, I I I dare to, you know, rather than just sit and listen, I I, I dare to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I and and probably they are right. I should have shut up more, uh, <laughs> just like now. So, Craig, sorry I interrupted you. That's fascinating. No, so. If you have repeated games over and over again, then you can create reputation, and reputation has a positive sum situation. You could actually invent value out of nowhere. And so the example for that, and, and not only that, it's, it's crucial, it's essential if you're gonna maintain st stable, long-term business. And a great example for that um, is way back from a thousand years ago, the Maghribi traders. These are a set of Jewish settlers, Jew Jewish traders across the Silk Road who were based in Egypt. And they were, they had to maintain some sort of difficult challenges here. They had to communicate across the Silk Road. They had a principal who would invest their money. And then the agent would have to take the money and go trade along the Silk Road. They had to make some sort of contract where you would trust this person in this game, basically, to not steal all the money. And so how do you actually do that? And so their solution, when they had these same problems that we have, is like you might not even know the person very well and you're not gonna be related to them. You're gonna not see them for six months. There's gigantic distances involved. It's the same situation now with the decentralized world we're trying to build with DAOs, decentralized organizations that are global in scope where anybody in the world can join and they can join anonymously. How are we gonna make sure that the business transactions are healthy and harmonious? And the only solution that they could come up with was a very stable, very strong and rich reputational system. That way, the people were more concerned with reputation than they were with the actual profit because the reputation promised they could continue to make profits in the future. So they, everybody behaved well. And so you can read about it in the book. It's a, a good story that explains how they solved those distance problems. So so to go back to the uh, remark that uh, Wolf uh, made about uh, uh, NFTs, non-fungible uh, tokens, and link it to the issue of money as a proxy for reputation, um, the 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 silly example that I made of a robber baron grandfather that makes uh, his uh, uh, grandson uh, wealthy, but that does not mean that person is trustworthy, uh, illustrates the issue that if money were a good proxy for reputability then its fungibility is actually a negative property rather than being a positive property. And the fact that uh, uh, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, better represent the individual's uh, 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 characteristics and that their provenance, even if it is owned by someone else, you know, uh, 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 as an illustration, 
for for our viewers who may not be familiar with uh, with the NFTs uh, that much, not that anyone is because they are a new thing, right? So um, ten years ago, I I uh, posted this uh, tweet: Bitcoin P2P virtual currency. I wish you good luck and good fortune against the ire of nation states everywhere. Bitcoin.org, April 20, 2011. Um, and it sat there for 10 years, um, gathering dust, uh, until I rediscovered it uh, and put it up for sale uh, on uh, uh, this uh, website uh, that makes it extremely pleasant and, and very, very easy uh, to, uh, to do so. And uh, Stefan T. Uh, bought it for rather than a million dollars, which I believe is what uh, would have been the right price. He bought it for $139. Now, a, a, a piece of confusion that many people make is he didn't buy the copyright to the, uh, to the text that I wrote. Uh, he didn't achieve the deletion of the original tweet, which is as available as before on Twitter. But he created um, a provable, traceable, transparent, and permanent link between me and him, as well as any other future owner of the NFT, uh, which can be tracked on, on, on the blockchain. And it is uh, the new topology of these provable, transparent relationships that will design a kind of a trust model that is unprecedented. And, and Wolf, probably that is why you believe that NFTs are important uh, in, in you know, representing a new world of reputation. You know, there's actually something better. That Craig and I haven't talked about enough for some reason. Sorry, I cannot hear you right now. Hello, check, check, check. Craig, can you hear me? I can hear you, Wolf. Craig, can you hear him? I can hear Wolf. Oh, okay. Then, then go Wolf. ahead. Uh, everyone else can. I can't, but I will so, resolve it while you are speaking. So the NFT craze. Uh, you know, this is a little bit of a so the the Facebook. Uh, investors, they're now in NFTs. NFTs are the new craze, right? But this is this is this is fungible. Um, these are fungible assets, right? So when we talk about reputation, Craig and I, when we started writing the book, well, the the, the research, we did not. We always thought of them in in terms of NFTs. So you're building reputation scores in wallets as, as NFTs, right? Um, there is actually the more the more I thought about it, and Craig and I haven't sufficiently talked about the implications. There is another accounting metric that one can use that actually is less transferable, Craig, uh, and those are weighted keys, right? Um, so you can actually use weighted keys as a way to account for reputation scores in a given system, similar to the way the Maghrebi did it in a culturally mon monolithic environment, right? And you can do this now through technology in a much broader uh, open, diverse cultural setting, yeah, and so um, NFTs. The, any, uh, David, any, everything that's happening in the NFT environment, uh, this is market driven, right? This is people 
jumping on and artists fulfilling themselves and finding new ways to to market themselves and raise funds, et cetera, et cetera. It's all wonderful. It's an enormous innovation. And if you think about what the gaming environment can do to this, it's quite quite very, very powerful. Let me distinguish this though a little bit, right? So when we when Craig and I are talking about reputation systems, governance systems, we are talking about organically grown reputation as a merit identifier. Um, as SSI, right? So uh, you're creating these scores in different DAO environments, in different meritocracy, in different merit environments, and the totality of those scores from different DAOs together give this sense of identity in those systems. But if you want to build that, David, you need to create a system in which you cannot or sell or make it uh, more difficult, as you say, um, to, to sell that reputation. Because as you said, you used the analogy with the Baron, right, who, who sold his fortune to his nephew or grandson. Um, the, the grandson may be a terrible individual. The Baron uh, accumulating that wealth must have some must have had some some merit in the way he he interoperated in the world. It could be ethically bad, but at least we know the uh, the merit is identifiable and quantifiable. So what what we, what we when Craig and I talk about reputation, we're actually removing this from this. Uh, so this this question that you posed earlier, right? Um, how can reputation replace money? The way reputation can replace money is if you grow it organically and you use it as a means of future generating future cash flows right so in other words the, you grow it organically independently from from fungible assets and the fungible assets that um, that other people may want to to give you for that um, intangible non-fungible reputation that's a fungible asset that is paid in proportion to your reputation Craig, please jump in anytime. Uh, so, but but important is it's not it, 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 the business does not in this model revolve around how much money do people have. It revolves around how good is their reputation in a given environment that legitimizes paying future cash flows to to that reputation, right? Mm, yeah. So, just to talk about non-fungible uh, tokens. Uh, Craig, um, I, I just want to alert you and and please keep answering that I will pull out of the picture, disappear under my standing desk and try to solve the issue of my, my audio. I have been lip reading uh, Wolf's uh, speaking oh, okay. right now. Uh, so uh, until you see me reappear, the two of you go ahead. Okay, I can talk a bit about non-functional or non-fungible tokens. Like first off for the audience, like what does fungible mean is, is the crucial idea involved here and fungible is the way that money works. If I if I put an ounce of gold on the table and another ounce of gold on the table, we can switch them around and I don't care which one I get. They're fungible, they're, they're interchangeable. Uh, I can replace them. Um, whereas a non-fungible token is unique. It's a unique token associated with one uh, idea as in the case of uh, David's tweet. So then the idea is, uh, well, so for each different piece, you have these uh, unique, uh, non-interchangeable uh, properties. And so you can associate that I property with something like your tweet in a way that comes from hash functions mathematically. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the, the tool that we use to give a unique identifier to each one of these tokens. Um, well, so the idea is that I have two different minds on these non-fungible tokens. They're not absolutely new. Uh, if anybody remembers the 
what was the cat craze from Ethereum for a while? <laughs> the uh, crypto kitties. Crypto kitties. There you go. See that? That's the exact same thing. And they have other things like crypto zombies, and they have other uh, non fungible tokens here. This is quite brilliant that you can tokenize basically any digital idea. So it, it's quite wonderful. And so I like the idea. And also it's quite funny. But I also find it completely reprehensible, basically. <laughs> it's similar to uh, modern art, in my opinion, that a lot of it is a scam. And so, of course, we can have a big, long argument about what is truly valuable in society and whether or not it's helping things. The only thing I see is that it's uh, it, it does put some long-term stamp on history, right? On your token, it, it, on your first tweet, it, it gives it some meaning. And so it is valuable in this new marketplace of virtual reality. And so, so, I, I, so uh, Craig, here is uh, something to freak you out even more, uh, which is uh, pretty recent, uh, maybe a week's old. Uh, uh, it's called BitCloud, uh, invitation only. Uh, they raised uh, $150 million. Uh, it is said that from Anderson Horowitz to uh, uh, the uh, Winklevoss uh, uh, brothers, uh, um, all of the, the, the top tier uh, Silicon Valley VCs participated in, in their round. Um, and what BitCloud does is uh, it uh, allows you uh, to be rewarded for the content that you create through people being able to buy a, a, a fractional share of your coin. And the platform uh, totally uh, automatically handles uh, the uh, not only buying and selling, but uh, but the, the market making, uh, the, the the price fixing of uh, your coin, uh, and the issuance of, of of new coins on on your behalf, and so on. Uh, and uh, and there has been uh, some confusion, and uh, it has been reported that the bitcoin you put into the system you couldn't get it out uh which alarmed a lot of people and that is not correct you can get out the bitcoin that you put into the system as of right now once you convert the bitcoin into the bitcloud token the reverse for now is not possible so all your BitCloud can only live on the BitCloud system as of right now. I expect that it will be possible to get it out as well, which will lessen the um, probability of BitCloud itself being a scam. Uh, and uh, it is fascinating. Also, as you said, potentially completely reprehensible uh, uh, in terms of uh, putting a monetary value on, on people and their actions. Extremely addictive, uh, dangerously uh, addictive as well, but a fascinating uh, experiment uh, for sure. And, uh, and potentially um, uh, valuable both for the participants and for the network and an important competitive alternative to the, the, the traditional advertising-based monetization models of 
Twitter, Facebook, Google, YouTube, everyone else. Uh, so um, I would uh, really recommend uh, our viewers to, to check it out. Don't put in more than you are ready to lose, as always, uh, and uh, and have um, you know have uh, get your hands dirty, uh, have a real experience with uh, with what uh, what can be done, and, and and I I think that is a very important feature of so many of these technologies. They have a practically zero barrier to to entry. Everyone who is driven by curiosity and by passion for understanding can experiment with them, uh, making up their own mind with regards of whether they find them valuable uh, and, uh, and then invest more time, maybe money, uh, but definitely being able to, to, to speak of uh, out of experience rather than hearsay. Or, or out of uh, uh, authority because the, someone they, they uh, admire said so. And, and, and I think this is also very important because in the past, this was not the case. You would either hear something that happened very far away, or even if the things that were happening with new technologies were um, local to you, they would never be immediately available to uh, anyone, and, and and today that is that is practically the case. Uh, even exotic new things like a quantum computer, uh, the makers of quantum computers are begging for your attention as a developer, right? And maybe they will give you just a, a few seconds of computing time, but if you go to the D-Wave uh, website, you can sign up to use their quantum computer, set up your problem, run it on on the quantum computer. And, and have a much better understanding of what people are talking about when they talk about quantum computers. So this accessibility, I think, is also uh, an important uh, um, component of why decentralized systems um, can be so attractive, because it doesn't matter in the geographical lottery where you were born, if you have a computer and the internet access, you can uh, coach yourself or be mentored by others to 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 be anything. Wolf, what you're saying is is so important. So the accessibility is something that I've been talking about a lot in the last six months. And this Craig and I are talking about in the book. We're, we're calling it an intuitive uh, UX, right? Something that people can actually interoperate with. And I sometimes I say, well, it has to be as easy as iTunes. There is, of course, a difference between coordinating human conduct and decentralized systems and downloading music, right? So um, how do you get to how do you get people to be drawn in and get get this idea to be accessible? This is something that Craig and I have, quite frankly, been struggling with for a long time, right? Because we weren't able to. The book was an attempt to translate it to people, but Craig and and David, what really has to happen is. You have to build a UI to let people gamified, ideally, experience the, 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 the reputation governance, right? The governance in decentralized systems. So I started talking to World of Warcraft people where, you know, they have this loot idea where 
people go on these games and they have loot and they need to find a way to redistribute, redistribute the loot. And the reason why I'm engaging in these long conversations, nights, you know, three hour conversations, why should you redistribute the loot one way or over another way? And what is a better equitable way? And how can you give people reputation points in this, right? So I've been on really long conversations about this. And it always comes down to this. They, they're really interested, they need it. They really need this governance, but they, they can't relate to it, right? So we, what we have to do as a community is we have to give them an intuitive gamified UI where people can, can plug in and they understand, yeah, if I, if I do X, I stake loot, right? I have loot, I got loot, um, I can stake uh, other assets and this staking, and, and just to be clear, David, uh, the reason why Bitcoin proliferated 10 years ago was because of gamers, right? Gamers knew instantaneously what this thing is, whereas other people say, what is that? I can't touch it? No, I'm not going <laughs> to mess with it, right? So gamers knew instantaneously, oh, I, I use this in games, now I can use it in the real world, right? And it's the same way in governance, right? When we talk about accessibility, you have to do it, you have to gamify it, get it in front of people, get it, get it into gaming communities, experience decentralized governance, and once they're comfortable with, they understand it, then they they are more comfortable building things with it, right? So, and that that takes time. So, accessibility is super important. As a, as an illustration of your point, uh, that the gamers uh, uh, flocked to uh, uh, to uh, Bitcoin, uh, uh, MT Gox, uh, uh, which is not Mount Gox as as some mistakenly pronounce it was one of the first uh, Bitcoin exchanges, then famously went bankrupt. I am still receiving the bankruptcy proceedings communications in Japanese language uh, uh, because uh, they are still trying to, um, uh, to, to make up their minds uh, how many of the Bitcoins uh, I had stuck uh, on the exchange as, as some other people. I wasn't alone. Uh, I should receive back out of the bank bankruptcy. The name Empty Gox uh, stood for Magic the Gathering Online Exchange because originally wasn't for cryptocurrency, it was for trading uh, 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 in-game uh, objects uh, in, in various ways. And, uh, and uh, Brock Pierce, uh, uh, another uh, of, of uh, the uh, Aboriginal uh, uh, Bitcoin uh, aficionados, uh, had actually uh, uh, China-based uh, uh, gold farmers uh, who would uh, spend their time uh, in online games uh, creating the magic swords and, and other items that uh, Westerners were too lazy to, uh, to, to invest the time that was necessary for possessing and then putting those up uh, on, on eBay uh, for, for sale. Uh, and, and, and that is how he became also familiar with uh, all the concepts of digital objects and, and uh, uh, digital scarcity, which is, of course, non-intuitive uh, uh, to, to, to start with. Um, now, you um, uh, published uh, the book. Uh, it came out uh, uh, actually just uh, a few days ago, if I'm uh, not mistaken. Congratulations. Uh, it, it is always a wonderful feeling when a prolonged uh, intellectual effort can culminate with something that you can touch and smell. Uh, and, uh, and so what's next? Uh, 
uh, what uh, do you think uh, if you still talk to each other after this? Uh, uh, what uh, what will 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 you do? Are are you gonna go to Silicon Valley, raise a bunch of money, and put uh, your thoughts into a startup, uh, making sure that people can uh, build effective DAOs uh, uh, with a beautiful user interface uh, for governance for the next eight billion people on the planet? Well, uh, well I can answer that. That I'm. No, I'm the voice in the wilderness. I'm not interested in that. I'm happy in my uh, ivory tower. And so I'm uh, actually just criticizing from the outside. And so I find the day-to-day the -day much more difficult. And I always hand that off to Wolf when he's much better at the diplom diplomacy part. Yeah, so I, I see this duality is really great because Craig and I, we are just phenomenal. I mean, I love the exchange with Craig, the idea ideation. And um, so, but to, to, to answer your, your question, David, um, we can build this, we can build this, but you cannot build it in a centralized setting. You cannot build it with a for-profit company. You can only do it in a non-profit environment, in an open source non-profit environment. That's how you, you can do this. And um, I don't wanna make, promote any, anything in particular, but I'm very, very hopeful that the DAO, DAO community that I'm involved with is able to, to build this system. Now, will it be the perfect system, Craig? Well, I, I'm, I'm promoting your book. Uh, let's promote the DAO community. What's the URL? Uh, <laughs> okay, uh, it's uh, devxdao.com. Um, uh, I'm, I'm pretty firm that we have an, an enormous, uh, uh, this will be, in my opinion, the, the world's largest nonprofit grant giving entity for open source software. I have no doubt in my mind that this is going to materialize. Uh, yeah, based I, on I, our donors, based on everything that that's uh, based on everything that's going on, I have no doubt that this is the this is going to happen. Um, now that you know, there are risks, uh, of course, that we all have to work really hard, and you know, I have uh, eighteen-hour days sometimes, uh, sixteen hours, fourteen hours usual, I guess. Um, and um, but it's it's so worth it. The cause is so worth it. It just I don't want to get too philosophical about it because there's a lot of tech that we have to build and create and and make available and accessible as we talked about. But the cause is so. I, I look at this as a way to quote unquote um, overcome the human condition. If we get it right, if we if we figure out a way to make changes and and upgrade upgrade systems that haven't been built. And uh, you know we're currently in a bull run in the crypto environment, so um, I'm extremely grateful for all the wonderful people who are working with me in this context. Timothy Lewis, Tim Messer, Marco Anibali. The list is endless. I mean, we have we have really brilliant people who have who share the same vision. And you see, David, this is essential for um, for a DAO environment. You need to bring people on who share, and we talk about this in the book, right? Um, unifying transcendental uh, transcendental values, right? And this is the, the DAO community really is united in this is in this desire for decentralized community building. And you can't do it without governance, right? As I always say, a DAO is only as good as the underlying governance. And so um, 
I've up updated Craig uh, uh, quite regularly, actually, on 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 this uh, what's happening here. But um, the this is a grant giving DAO for the for now, right? So this is uh, redistributing value and, and growing communities. But we are we are able to use a, a reputation system at least partially, not the pure system, Craig, that you and I are envisioning. But you know why that's not possible because because of the bootstrap problem, right? We always have the bootstrap problem that you cannot build this unless you get over the bootstrap phase. And this this DAO very clearly is in bootstrap for uh, at least another year. But after that, and, and, and already now, right? So we're engaging with the Casper community. Casper community is, is phenomenal. I can, I mean, we started talking about this, David, at the very beginning of this chat. The idea of pluggable consensus that, that the Casper community is talking about and the, the level of experimentation and creating forward-looking designs that are business-friendly as well as community building through this is, is what's needed. And, and they need a DAO. We need the layer one. It's a, it's a match made in heaven, really. And so uh, I'm extremely confident that we can, we can build something phenomenal. So stay tuned and uh, we'll, we'll get it out. And then, and I have uh, some DevEx uh, tokens, uh, and uh, I am uh, happy to, to, to use them. So, uh, um, you, we, so this is the, the goes back to this question we we addressed earlier, right? Can reputation replace money? You can't buy reputation, right? Uh, you can buy Casper tokens, and I, I want to encourage you. I mean, if you look at what happened in their pre-sale, I'm not, of course, not giving financial advice. Uh, so it's an enormous project. It's very, very powerful. And um, what they have on the platform with uh, weighted keys, it really feeds directly into the reputation, reputation systems that Craig and I are talking about in the book. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very, very exciting time to to be in these uh, to be in these communities. And if you look at the partnerships that the DevX DAO is starting to generate, so we have machine learning communities, we have uh, NFT gaming communities, they're all coming in as DAOs within the DAO, DevX DAO, DAO environment, right? If you look at all these communities that are coming into this, the DevX DAO is, is becoming a DAO of DAOs, right? Where you ge generate uh, ideas, you get people comfortable with the reputation governance system. It's, a, it's not a pure system at this point, right? But you get them comfortable with it. They're exported into their communities. Um, they're getting paid uh, in, in, in certain tokens, in this case, uh, in, in Casper. So Casper uh, decentralizes. We, uh, we, at the same time, are able to export our governance. It's a beautiful system that benefits. It's a win-win for everybody, right? So I'm very excited about this, and I hope I can get Craig to play a much more active role in this. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, uh, that's wonderful, and uh, it, is a, it is a wonderful way of... Uh, uh, also uh, closing uh, uh, today's episode because it gives me the opportunity to reach out in a year's time and say, hey, Wolf, you remember saying that uh, DevXDAO needs another year's time before being ready? Is it ready? Come back. Uh, um, check the web page again in a few weeks, please. Very good. <laughs> check it. Yeah. So, uh, Craig and Wolf, uh, thank you very much uh, for being on uh, searching uh, for the question live. Really great. Thank you for hosting us. It was a pleasure, David. Good to meet you. Meet you. So uh, uh, thank you, everyone, for uh, watching, uh, searching uh, for the question uh, live. Uh, I hope uh, that you enjoyed uh, the show. Uh, we have uh, a Discord um, server where you can join to continue uh, 
the, the conversation, subscribe to my Italian uh, channel uh, where there are other um, uh, types of uh, conversations uh, in, uh, in Italian. Uh, and uh, uh, if you feel that uh, uh, I provide you with value in understanding and interpreting the uh, rapidly uh, changing world, uh, where actually the rate of uh, uh, change is accelerating, we are living in a world of jolting uh, technologies, uh, feel free uh, to support me and my team on uh, Patreon uh, at patreon.com uh, slash David Orban. And uh, I will uh, see you uh, at the next uh, episode of uh, Searching uh, for the Question live.